0: What is it that makes someone commit a crime? Welcome to Revealed, where I uncover sensational crimes and the stories of the people behind them, as well as examine mysteries that baffle the mind. Hi, I am your host, Sukrit, and I thank you for joining me today. Let's begin. they say success breeds enemies. This is especially true in the Mafia. Where the higher you go, the bigger the target on your back. (laughs) Quite literally. Whether it's Bigu Matre vs Guru Narayan in the film Satya, Rashid and his cohorts vs Subhash Nagri in the film Sarkar, or even the multiple efforts to finish off the entire Corleone family in the Godfather trilogy, the top spot in the Mafia usually comes with epic struggles, lots of backstabbing and bloodshed. But this violence and struggle for supremacy isn't restricted to films and books. As a matter of fact, these tantalising tales of insecurity, hushed-up backroom deals and murder are very much rooted in real life. Today we visit one such tale. A tale of a man who wasn't even supposed to be a criminal. And yet he fell into a life of crime and managed not only to survive, but thrive getting to the top and staying there for decades, using his sheer cunning to shapeshift into whatever was required for him to survive and to stay ahead. So let's get to know the godfather of Bengaluru. Part 1. Even a tiger can be killed. Between the 1970s to the late 1980s in Bangalore, as Bengaluru was known back then, There was a man who was so powerful that he could enter a police station, hold a machete to the neck of a policeman and threaten him there and then. Heck, he even went to the extent of murdering a man in broad daylight in the middle of a courtroom just because that man was giving evidence against him. This was the power that MP Jairaj had in those years. Jairaj wasn't the only rowdy, as these crime figures are commonly referred to, but he was definitely amongst the top-tier rowdies in the city. So much so, that a lot of reports credit him as being the first dawn of Bengaluru. Jairaj was an amateur wrestler, physically intimidating with unwavering courage. It was this very combination of brute strength and fearlessness that kept him at the top of the criminal hierarchy in Bengaluru. There were multiple attempts on his life, and each time he managed to save himself. Whether that meant taking on multiple attackers with his bare hands, or hurling bombs at them from under his hospital bed, he fought back each time with the ferocity of a tiger. The tiger had a special place in Jayaraj's life. He was convinced that he shared similar traits with the animal. Such was his affinity towards it, that not only did he pick a tiger to be his political party's symbol for election, but he went ahead and hired a real tiger when he was campaigning for the elections. Which of course ended up drawing massive crowds at his rallies back in the 80s. It was during this time in 1989 when Jairaj was out on parole from jail campaigning for elections that a plot to finally finish him off was underway. A few of his rivals had come together and after multiple failed attempts to kill him in the past, they were determined to succeed this time. As part of his parole condition, Jairaj was to visit the Siddhapura police station daily and sign in a register. On the morning of 21st November 1989, Jairaj went to the police station to finish this daily formality. But unknown to him, this would be the last day of his life. The car that Jairaj was travelling in that day had him, his brother and his lawyer in it. On the morning of the 21st, they left the police station as always via their usual route. But as soon as they began their journey from the police station, they were surrounded by two motorcycles, an ambassador and a Fiat car with over 10 men who started shooting at the three of them from all sides. This time, Jairaj wasn't able to escape and he along with his lawyer succumbed to their bullet injuries and died on the spot. The dreaded dawn of Bengaluru, MP Jairaj, was finally dead, opening up the coveted spot at the top of the criminal hierarchy of Bengaluru so someone else could take his place. Part 2. The Rise of the Godfather The credit for the planning and execution of the murder of Dawn MP Jairaj would primarily go to one man, a tall fellow with piercing eyes and a handlebar moustache, a resident of the state of Karnataka, a young man called Mutappa Rai. How did Mutappa Rai finally succeed in killing the fearless Don MP Jairaj, even though many had failed before? This success was mainly due to Rai's strategy and planning of the entire operation. Mutappa Rai was methodical and professional. For days, he conducted multiple reckeys of the route that Jayraj took daily to the police station, identified the spot where the attack would take place, and also chose the team who would ensure the success of this daring attack. But most importantly, Rai did one thing that hadn't been done in Bengaluru before, using guns along with professionals known as sharpshooters to carry out the attack. Such was the power of Jayraj that Rai knew mere knives and sticks wouldn't do the trick. He needed something more powerful, and he looked for inspiration towards the centre of the underworld, Bombay. With the convenience and firepower of guns, Bombay from the very start of the 1980s had already witnessed fierce firefights between rival gangs. The use of guns also bred a new type of criminal, the dreaded sharpshooter. It is almost poetic to note that as the 1980s ended with the murder of Jairaj, so did the era of brute force and man-to-man combat. Now the 90s would bring in a new era of crime with a new lethal weapon, the firearm. And it was Mutappa Rai who introduced it to the Bengaluru underworld and forever changed its course. As the man credited with finally succeeding in killing the feared Don Jairaj, Mutappa Rai was instantly elevated in status within crime circles. But this didn't mean that Rai was easily accepted by the group of local rowdies in Bengaluru. Netala Mutappa Rai was born to an upper-class family in the small city of Puttur in Karnataka. He was educated and even had a job at a public sector bank in Mangalore, a beginning not exactly typical of most criminals. In the 1980s, he became a partner at a bar located on Brigade Road in Bengaluru. The bar was famous for its live acts, fairly successful, and eventually Rai even became the owner of the place. As stories are to be believed, Rai first turned to violence in order to protect this bar from the local underworld. He even hired muscular men to protect this investment of his. The start of a type of a new profession, now commonly known as bouncers. By the end of 1989, having successfully murdered the dawn of Bangalore, Mutappa Rai entered into the 1990s as a well-established criminal. Even though by the 1990s, Rai was a well-known crime figure, that didn't result in much stability in his life. On the contrary, the decade between the 1990s to the early 2000s was filled with adversity, danger and turbulent times. Let's see if you can hold on to this roller coaster ride. In 1992, Rai was accused of murdering Amar Alva from Mangalore, a well-established businessman and local strongman with ties to the D Company. Retired ACP Lava Kumar, who was investigating the Alva murder case, remembers how confidently Mutapparai stated that no evidence would be found against him. It seemed Rai was correct, and no evidence linking him to the murder of Alva was ever found. Between 1994 and 1996, two important events happened. 1. An attempt to kill Rai was made in Bengaluru. A man dressed as a lawyer shot at Rai five times at a court in the city. A murder attempt that Rai survived, but one that left him bedridden for quite some time. 2. Rai contacted Sharad Shetty, Dawood Ibrahim's close aide. This enabled Rai to make an association with Dawood Ibrahim at a time when the Indian crime boss had begun expanding his empire internationally with the Middle East as a central part of the entire machinery. These two incidents, the near-fatal attack on his life in Bengaluru and his association with Sharad Shetty, convinced Rai to leave India and move to Dubai with the blessings of the D Company. Now safe in the Middle East, Rai settles in, at least for the time being. He continues to remotely control his criminal enterprise in Karnataka while based out of Dubai. He is part of the pharmaceutical trade in African countries and gets involved in the real estate business in Bengaluru. Towards the end of the 90s, Mutappa Rai had settled comfortably in Dubai. He was living a luxurious life. He was earning millions through his activities in Karnataka and the other work that he was doing internationally. The bank clerk from Mangalore had now become an international don earning millions. (laughs) But the life of a crime boss isn't smooth for long. Either you're in a power struggle with other criminals to hold on to your position, or you're constantly being watched and chased by governments and the police. And by the early 2000s, these issues were already looming on Rai. And once again, he was going to face strong challenges that would take his life in another direction in the years to come. In January 2001, a successful local builder in Bengaluru by the name of Subbaraju was murdered in his office in Shishadripuram. His sons were present there at the time and even tried catching the assassins. However, they were unsuccessful. Within a short time of the murder, the police reached the crime scene. While no one could accurately describe the killers, by a stroke of luck, one of the head constables from the police team found the suspects at a distance from the office behaving suspiciously. He immediately started to chase them, and while fleeing from the constable, the assassins managed to get into an auto rickshaw and escape, but in their rush, dropped one of their mobile phones. Through their investigation, the Bengaluru police found that the assassins were from Bombay, and from the mobile phone they dropped, the police found a crucial piece of evidence, the call log, which indicated communication between the killers and a number in Dubai linked to Mutapparai. That same year, the CBI successfully got a red notice issued by Interpol in the name of Rai, making him a wanted fugitive internationally. In 2002, one year after that Interpol notice was issued, Rai was arrested at his Dubai home by the local police. But not for any of the crimes that he was wanted for in India. Instead, he was arrested for staying in the UAE without valid visa papers, which resulted in him being deported to India subsequently. This story of his deportation has another angle to it. While he was already wanted in India with regards to multiple cases, it had been difficult for India to take action in the past as there was no extradition treaty between India and the UA till the year 2000. But by the year 2002, the treaty existed between the two countries, and it could have been used to extradite him for the alleged cases for which he was wanted in India. Yet. He was arrested in Dubai, not under the extradition treaty, but instead on a visa violation. It had been said that by this time, Rai had gotten into trouble with some powerful people in Dubai. He felt that his life in Dubai was in danger, and had even reached out to an officer in the Indian embassy in UAE to help him get back to India. Either way, by 2002, Rai's days as an international dawn were over and he was now back in India to face all the cases against him. On top of these cases, the fact was that he was an Indian living in the Middle East with known ties to the underworld and to Dawood Ibrahim. In the aftermath of the dreaded Bombay blasts and other criminal activities by the underworld, this of course made him a person of interest to India's national investigating agencies like the CBI and the entire saga of Rai's return to India was cloaked with an air of secrecy and high security owing to a perceived threat to his life. So in 2002, after his deportation back to India, Rai stood trial in the multiple cases against him, including the murder of builder Subha Raju from 2001. Eventually, in all eight cases brought against him, Rai was acquitted of all charges due to lack of evidence. Part 3. Business is booming While the 90s and 2000s might have been a turbulent time in rise life, India was busy going through her own set of historic changes through this decade. The Indian economy had opened up, and by 1995, foreign investment in India had crossed $5 billion. This opening up of the Indian economy meant that certain key sectors in the country would see a rapid growth spurt. And it was in one of these sectors that early on Rai had shrewdly started making his presence felt. The gold mine that is real estate. With Bengaluru fast becoming an international hub for information technology and other businesses, there was a frenetic pace of expansion in the local real estate market, a market that didn't even exist a few years back. Real estate in India has always been a controversial and confusing matter. Land is usually owned and shared by large families, passed through generations. The paperwork isn't always available. Most times there is shared ownership and multiple claims on the same land. To top this all off, our country has a court system which is already handicapped. And so out of the boom in the late 90s, a unique situation was born. One that was ripe for Mutappa Rai to pounce upon for the kill. Successfully having fought off all the cases against him in 2002 and comparatively safe in Bengaluru, Mutappa Rai now finds a second coming. From a banking clerk in the 70s and 80s to a feared criminal in the 80s and 90s, moving on to becoming an international crime boss in the 90s and early 2000s, now Rai enters the latest phase of his career, conquering the wildly lucrative real estate market in Bengaluru. By 2008, close to 500 multinational corporations had established a host of businesses in Bengaluru, ranging from call centres to office parks and luxury hotels. And the city had become India's shining example of success as part of the globalised world. This explosion resulted in land prices shooting up by thousands of times their original value, creating a gold rush for those who could get their way out with the system a system that wasn't ready for such a massive change. The massive commercial machinery was hungry for land, and it didn't have the time or patience to deal with the archaic systems of administration in India. This resulted in an unhealthy reliance on criminal figures who became quasi-government bodies. They settled disputes, helped interested parties buy off land, and started buying large pieces of land for themselves as well using force, intimidation, blackmail, and whatever other means necessary. Throughout the 2000s and beyond, Mutappa Rai becomes the go-to man whenever large land deals in Bengaluru are done. His name itself a guarantee. A guarantee that there are no disputes to the ownership, and thus no hassles of litigation. A very valuable assurance when millions are involved and reputations are at stake. So widespread was the problem of land disputes and corruption in Bengaluru that in 2008, the new police commissioner had to issue a memo asking officers to stop their corrupt practices. This latest phase in Rai's life turned out to be extremely lucrative. He was earning money, settling disputes, quote-unquote, helping buyers and landowners. And he was busy buying up huge pieces of land in and around Bengaluru for himself. By the late 2000s, organized crime in Bengaluru, like in the previous decades, seemed to have all but vanished. However, according to some accounts, thousands of criminal figures were instead trying to get their share of the real estate pie in the city. During this time, there were the one-off allegations against Rai, where landowners alleged his men forced them to sell their land to Rai, and when the police were approached to help, even they told the complainant to settle with Rai. But none of this was ever proved. With his success… Rai had settled into a massive mansion in Bidadi, set on a couple of acres on the outskirts of Bengaluru, with all the trappings of a millionaire. Except in his case, owing to his past and current business, there was the addition of a set of armed guards on constant 24-hour duty with dangerous automatic weapons guarding him as well as his property. Additionally, one of his vehicles was a luxury SUV, which was reportedly designed to withstand AK-47 bullets and rocket-propelled grenades. Clearly, Rai continued to believe that his life was under constant threat. Apart from his success in real estate, in 2008, he launched Jaya Karnataka, a non-government social service organisation through which he aimed to help the downtrodden by organising medical camps, building facilities for the poor, amongst other services. Given his wealth, power and history, this was also taken by some to be an indication that Rai would eventually join politics but that was not to be. In January 2020, dressed in a black leather jacket and white Panama hat, he held a press conference at his Bidadi mansion and announced that he was suffering from cancer and had limited time to live, stating that he had led a fearless life and didn't fear death. He passed away a few months later in the month of May 2020 at a hospital in Bengaluru. Prologue. A boy from a decent family, educated Working in a bank turns to a life of crime, kills the city's most feared dawn, and after a life-threatening attack, moves to Dubai under the friendship and blessings of the D-company. This was just the first half of Mutapparai's career, and it already sounds like the synopsis of a thrilling crime film. There actually was a film that was planned to be made around his life, by none other than director Ram Gopal Varma, but somehow the project was never completed. While there's no doubt that he was involved in criminal activities, it's interesting to note that in spite of all the dreadful allegations made against him and the cases brought to court, Rai was never convicted. Rather, he was acquitted in all the criminal cases that were lodged against him. Later in his life, while giving interviews, Rai even referred to himself as a patriot, talking about how he was helping Indian intelligence agencies in Afghanistan as well as against Dawood Ibrahim but this has never been confirmed. You know, when we speak of people who have made some form of impact on the society they lived in, we look at what they left behind. And in Raya's case, while in the latter half of his life he was deeply involved in helping people through Jaya Karnataka while also running his real estate empire, his everlasting legacy shall remain in the fact that he was the man who introduced guns into the Bengaluru underworld. And apparently also the man who introduced the concept of bouncers to the bar culture in Bengaluru, starting from that little bar on Brigade Road, where Mutapparai the bank clerk was left behind and Mutapparai the godfather was born. Hey, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Don't be selfish. Share this podcast with your friends. You can also check out more content related to each episode on Instagram where I post pictures and videos of the cases I cover. You can find me on Instagram on at the rate, The Revealed Podcast. And write to me there in case you want to share some stories and new topics for the show. I shall be back with a new story next week. Stay safe, always follow the law, and once again, thank you for listening to Revealed.